We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, May 8th. Nick Whalen here with the great Alex Barutha. Uh, we want to start out, of course, uh, it's Mike D'Antoni's birthday. I did not write down how old he is. I just know it's his birthday. It's former Buck Keon Dooling's birthday. It is Sasha Khan's birthday. Uh, not sure if he ever really played in the NBA. I think he was with the Cavs for a while. Uh, probably best known for his destructiveness on like NCAA March Madness, I think 2010 or 2009. Okay. He was the best player on the game. When uh, they could still like legally make those games. Right, exactly. It's also Kemba Walker's birthday, and it's Garrett Temple's birthday, another former Buck. So okay. quite a bit going on uh, on what's otherwise a, a fairly slow Tuesday. Um, had a little bit of time this morning, went back, and Basketball Reference has a an On This Day page, which – is usually a mix of just like very boring facts. Like on this day, it was game three of the conference finals. Right. Like, Nothing happened. It was just there. But on this day in 2011, Jason Terry had 32 points in 25 minutes in a win over the Lakers. He was nine of 10 from three. He is one of five players, thanks to that game, who made at least nine threes in a playoff game. Can you name the other four? 
<laughs> one of them, there's no way you're getting. The other ones, you should probably get at least two of them. I'll, I'll give you that as like a hint. Um, Corver? Incorrect. Horrible guess. Really? Uh, Ray Allen? Yes. Okay. For the Bucks in 2001. Reggie Miller? Incorrect. Hmm. I don't know. You're going to have to... Clay Thompson. Oh, that, in yeah. The game, the game a couple years ago against OKC. Uh, Vince Carter in 2001 had 50 points in a win over the Sixers. He was 9 of 13 from three. Rex Chapman, I don't know how you didn't get that one. That was the one I thought you would get. Um, he had nine in a game. Um, all the all these guys that I read, Ray Allen did it twice, by the way. He also did it in okay. 09 for Boston. Um Everybody, all, all those guys except Clay Thompson had nine made threes. Clay went eleven of eighteen, which like that game gets talked about all the time. But for some reason in my mind, I didn't realize he had eleven threes. Like you just kind of think of it as, oh yeah, yeah. Clay went off. Like eleven three pointers in any game, let alone a playoff game, uh, is ridiculous. But speaking of the playoffs, we'll get into last night's games. The Cavaliers are now ten and zero in their last ten games against the Toronto Raptors. The last ten playoff games, I should say. Um, and somehow that is only the third longest active playoff win streak. Uh, the Cavs also hold the other two. Um, do you know which other two teams they've beaten more than 10 times in a row? Uh, Charlotte? No. Good oh. guess. Um, sh- I don't think they played them enough. That's a good point. Chicago? Mm-mm. These are both active streaks. So, oh. and again, Cleveland. So this doesn't this doesn't have anything to do with LeBron in Miami. Detroit. Detroit. Washington. No, good guess though. Milwaukee. <laughs> no, no. Southeast Division. Uh I you you got me. I, the Atlanta Hawks. They've uh, beaten Atlanta twelve times in a row. They've beaten Detroit twelve times in a row. Okay. Um and I think the Detroit one must date back to LeBron's previous stint with the Cavs. But I think the Hawks was all within the, within the last three years before this year. Um, but, yeah, the Cavs, this was – what I said last week when we talked, I think, was if the Cavs go up 3-0, I think this series ends in four, which is not, you know, a hot take by any means. But, like, I just – the Raptors just don't – are not the type of team that would rally you know, right, rally yeah. back in a game four like, like the Sixers did last night. Um, I didn't think they would lose by 35, but I kind of thought they had to win game three because there's nothing about the Raptors this year or the last four or five years has – has demonstrated that they have any sort of mental toughness necessary to, no. you know, I mean, nobody's going to come back from 3-0, but at least make it respectable. They did the complete opposite. This was the worst game of the series. Uh, LeBron didn't even play all that well, I didn't think, until the second half. Uh, the third quarter is when the Cavs really poured it on. LeBron had a little bit of a rough start by his standards in the playoffs, um, but J.R. Smith played really well. He didn't miss a shot. Um, all, all five Cavs starters scored in double figures. You know, I think... A lot of the the talk in the wake of this is what's next for Toronto. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but I, I want to ask, like, how much credit does Indiana deserve? Like, which were the Cavs just not good in round one? Did they just find their stroke? Like, to me, it, it seems like Indiana, like, that wasn't a fluke series by them. Like, I mean, no. would, would Indiana have done the same thing to Toronto in retrospect? I really don't. Yeah, this, this the Cavaliers sweeping Toronto makes it, it it makes the Indiana series make no sense to me. Like mm-hmm. it's it's very confusing because Toronto is clearly better than Indiana, uh, apparently, um, <laughs> based on seating. Yes. Uh, and I don't know if it was 
personnel, it must have, I guess part of it, Kevin Love was just terrible. Kevin Love really turning on the past, like, I think two or three games of this Raptor series. Like, basically, we we talked a lot of crap about him at, and on, on the podcast, and then the next game after that, he, he ended up playing well and has played well since. So I think they deserve, I think Indiana, like, deserves a lot of credit for mm-hmm. taking them to seven games, but also, yeah, the the absence of Kevin Love, essentially, from from that series was pretty dramatic also right well i think a lot of the credit too goes to just defensively i mean the Cavs, the Cavs um had a 105.5 offensive rating against indiana they had a 127.3 offensive rating against toronto and after this toronto series they now have the best offense in the playoffs 112.7 if you average out uh those 11 games like toronto was so bad that the Cavs are now the like the best team <laughs> after only a four game sample uh but this this to me looked more like the Cavs that we probably expected to see yeah. what, regardless of whether you thought they were going to make it to the eastern conference finals like this is the Cavs team that we kind of thought they would have to live and die by which was ball movement shooting kyle corver making shots jr smith jeff green making or missing shots that was going to make or break them and against indiana we saw cleveland slow it down it looked a lot more like the 2015 team after Love and Della Vadova went down and LeBron, you know, basically put everything on his shoulders and maximized every single possession. This to me looked more like the old Cavaliers. I don't know if that's good um, because that, that means, you know, defensively they gave up a little bit more, but they were still much better defensively in these last 11 games than they were really at any point during the regular season. Um, I'm not getting, I'm not talking myself into this team, uh, you know, pushing golden state or houston whatsoever you know i think they're rightfully the favorites now regardless of who they face in the next round probably boston they're the favorites to get there nothing that's happened uh, you know in the last week makes me change my opinion i I still think it's golden state over cleveland and four yeah i i i probably would go five um i i really just like hate predicting sweeps especially against lebron like i feel like lebron can just have one of those games and you're right i mean i said you look at last year like that was series was not close they it was not close they what, what was it 3-0 then they won game four lost game five i, I mean it, it ended in five and the cavaliers are objectively significantly worse than last year and the right. warriors are about the same you know maybe a little better with some yeah. more continuity you know like yeah. to me i just don't i just don't see what the equation is for it to go any more than five games if not end in four no and they i mean yeah it's no secret the Cavs were relying a lot on Kyrie Irving uh and Kevin Love being better than he has been and I mean the the Cavs have had to lean so hard on basically the guys that they were playing last year and the year before um that like the guys that they acquired in these trades as has been the case throughout the entire playoffs not just now are just they're just there to fill in minutes right and it's like when you go against a team as deep as like i understand the benches get shorter like all all that but um when you go up against a team like you know golden state who can just they're eight they're eight guys if you are running a man rotation is just insanely better right i mean if you just if you just play the you know rank the players game lebron if you're doing just a draft draft, lebron goes one and then four warriors come off the board before you even think about taking another cavalier yeah because you would take kevin love and, and then he's... it's kevin love and then how many more warriors you know like iguodala at least Quinn cook yeah even. right i mean like corver you know corver's been good for them but at the end of the day he's what a 37 year old guy who tries really hard on defense isn't a great defender and is just you know a spot-up shooter and an insane weapon to give lebron james even at corver's age but it's just 
it's just not going to be enough. Um, but at the same time, given what we've seen from the rest of the East, like I'd still rather see LeBron go up against Golden State or Houston, right? Like, yeah, it would be a fun story, I guess, if Boston closes out Philly, somehow beats Cleveland, which I guess wouldn't even be that crazy because, like, to me, the Cleveland can still revert back to old Cleveland at any point. As good as LeBron's been, right? That's still in the cards. Um, but I, I just there's not a team in the East right now, you know, that I think can can challenge Golden State. I think. A week ago, if you would have asked me, I would have said Philadelphia. You know, not not That's that they I would beat said. Golden State, but I would say they're at least on paper they're they're deeper than anyone else. They have the high end talent. Of course, that high end talent has kind of not really played up to yeah. its potential in the in this series. Um, but yeah, I mean, whoever go, whoever comes out of the West is is winning the title. Um, but looking at this Cavs Raptors series, we can talk about Toronto now. I mean, this was Toronto's best team ever. That's not even an opinion. Yep. That's just a fact. This was their best team ever versus the worst LeBron team in at least 10 years. Uh, you know, maybe probably. we're probably getting back to like, you know, Shaq LeBron teams. <laughs> um, I don't I don't know where they go next. And from what I've read, from what I've listened to, from what I've watched, no one has a good answer. Um, they're kind of in the same spot that they were last year. If there's a silver lining, it's that they didn't give Lowry like a four or five year contract. You know, he's only on the books for two more years. <laughs> Unfortunately, more years you're giving is. him over sixty four million dollars in the next two years. Uh, that's bad. The Lowry DeRozan pairing, you know, as good as it's been in the regular season, yeah, you got to reconsider at this point. The Norman Powell extension, that looks really, really bad. Yeah, um, that seemed like they. They might have jumped the gun a little bit. <laughs> he's not even in the rotation. It's not no. like he had a bad year. He's just he was just not. He I don't remember play. seeing him on the court in this series, right? Um, you know, OG and Obi, uh, Delon Wright and Fred VanVleet basically just rendered him useless uh, on this team, and they're paying all those guys considerably less now. They have to pay VanVleet this summer. Um, I don't know. It, it just felt like everything had to click for them this year, and then they'd kind of figure it out after. And I think they're in a spot now where. Even even like the worst case scenario, if you would have asked that team going into the playoffs, like I, I just don't think anyone, players, coaches, front office, fans, expected it to end in this. Like this is the worst possible way it could have ended. Yeah, um, like and it's it's one of those things where like you can't feel horrible about losing to LeBron, but like you mentioned, it was like LeBron's worst team. Right, I think you can. Right, like, I think you can feel horrible about. Yeah, it. this is this is definitely the one time I think you have the the leeway to feel mm-hmm. to feel bad about that. I think we kind of saw them. There was a lot of talk heading into the playoffs uh, that like you know the the Raptors had one of the best benches in the league, and there was some talk like, well, is that going to matter in the playoffs because everyone just plays their starters. And I think that a little bit kind of came to fruition here with basically the the Cavs playing LeBron 40-some-odd minutes a game and, and basically, you know, all their uh, – what – I mean, if you consider what they have a core, guys, big minutes. Um, and then the Raptors having to lean on a team in which, like, theoretically, Jonas Valanciunas is their third-best player. Because Serge Ibaka I – mean, I think Ibaka was supposed to be <clears> – <throat> Ananobi might have been the third best player in this series. It's it's a tough. I mean, it, it might have gone Lowry, Valanciunas, Ananobi. Yeah, I mean, really, yeah, and and so they have, and even during the regular season, like Ibaka just wasn't it, who wasn't just who they signed to the contract that they did. Like, I'm this starting is to believe the, he might actually be six years older than than they say he is. The Ibaka truthers were out when he got drafted. Um, and he, he seems to have hit the, the wall a little bit early. Yeah. It's, he definitely hit his prime when he was 23. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Peaked and a little too early. Peaked a little too early. And um, it's, it's yeah, it's just really kind of unfortunate for them. Like, what they, like people are talking, like, is does Dwayne Casey get fired? Uh, he might, he's, like, going to come in third, fourth for coach of the year. <laughs> he might come if in not first. second, if he doesn't win it. He might win it. He might win the coach of the year and get fired. Like, he's, I think he's a lock to finish in the top three. No question about that. Like, right. That to me would seem like a, a knee jerk move, but you have to do something. Yeah, I think I think it's a tough sell to lose in this fashion. It'd be one thing if you went to seven and you got beat, yeah. you know, but to to lose in four, to come out in game four and get smacked by thirty five, you know, like that's the lasting impression yeah. of this series and of this team is losing that badly uh, in a clinching game. I I wanted to ask you like, what do you think this means? legacy wise for like Lowry and DeRozan you know DeRozan's still I think he's 29 like he's he's still got time Lowry's getting a little bit up there I mean people forget he played you know he had all those years in Houston and Memphis when he didn't really even think about him like he hasn't been really all that like all-star relevant for that long he was in the same draft as Josh Boone which Josh Boone hasn't played an NBA game in like six (laughs) years but uh I digress Lowry was fine in the series DeRozan was terrible he was a net rating minus 31 0 of 9 from 3, despite uh, many people telling me that DeMar DeRozan had added a three-pointer this year and that was going to be the difference. Didn't even make one. He took, you know, two per game. He had a worse game score average on basketball reference than Jeff Green. Jeff Green was Mm. better than DeMar DeRozan on the whole in this series. You know, I I do wonder, like, what is the reputation of these guys around the league? And again, you know, they still have time in terms of their overall career, but I think right now, if you're a fan of the NBA, when you when you hear DeRozan Lowry, it's almost getting to the point where it's a punchline. Yeah, it's they're they'll probably just end up going down. I mean, they're going to end up going down as one of those teams who, you know, um, it's like the teams that used to have to face Jordan all the time. It's like we think of like the probably the Knicks are maybe a good example, like Patrick Ewing. Like everyone, mm-hmm. like Patrick Ewing, very respected player, but everyone's like, but right. he didn't do this, and it's like. It, and I'm actually I, I pulled up the New York Knicks like their their playoff record or whatever in the mm-hmm. late 80s. It's just like lost Eastern Conference first round, lost in the semis, lost in the semis, lost in the first round, lost in the conference finals. It's just like mm-hmm. they just they just couldn't do it. Um, and so I think really this team is just going to go down as as one of those as weird as that is to say. Um and like so, they shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't feel shame in that. But like at the same time, I think they should. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll say it. Yeah, I. And the and that's the question too. Like if so, if the if the Raptors do want to blow it up, what do other teams actually look at Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry as? I don't see. That's the thing. I don't know. They, I think they just missed their window with this group. Like I don't. I don't yeah. know if there's like a quick fix. There's not another addition. Like Ibaka, I think was kind of supposed to be that final piece. Yeah. Um, and I think looking back, I mean, you had, like we said, this was LeBron's worst team. You had LeBron shorthanded in 2015 In 2016 was an all time great Cavs team. I don't think you can feel too bad about right. that one, but even last year, like these are not as good as LeBron is. You're not losing to the Warriors every year. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think, I think the Raptors, and you can tell by the way that they were talking, even in the middle of the series, like they firmly believed they were the better overall team. And I think most people did. I would have said that too. Right. I mean, top to bottom. I don't think there was too much of a question, but to let one guy, um, you know, a guy who's shooting like 30% from three in the playoffs, especially uh, pick you apart like that, it's demoralizing. Like you said, I don't know what happens with Dwayne Casey. I I don't think they can fire him. That, that I don't to me, think I would. Yeah, I don't, it, it, I don't get the impression that there was any sort of disconnect between Casey and the players. 
I think part of it's like you want to do something right. because otherwise it's depressing because mm-hmm. you figure it's going to happen again next year, but you don't want to blow up the team or maybe you can't even blow up That's the, the team. That's the thing. It's like I don't know if it's a want <clears throat> or a have to. It's like they just don't have the option. Like You can blow it up, but you're going to get 75 cents on the dollar for all your big pieces. Right. And so I think I think the the – the opinion that people want to fire Dwayne Casey is just based off of like, we just feel like we have to do something just to, just to try to find anything. And I think some of the decisions he made in that series too weren't great into that. But I mean, honestly, at the very least for Raptors fans, if like their, their bench is good. Like they actually, they do have like this young core to build off of. So once this, like, you know, DeRozan Lowry era, kind of comes to an end which probably in the next two years essentially you know depending on the contracts or expiring contracts these are gonna move whatever the the theoretical rebuild probably won't take as long as mm-hmm. you know they won't have they won't be drafting well probably which is gonna right. be part of the problem they kind of have that course exactly so yeah that's the thing like you said they'll be you go into these seasons knowing like, all right, we know we're not going to win the finals, but we also know we're going to make the playoffs as like a three through six seed, which is not where you want to be no. in the NBA in terms of draft position. You know, maybe you've, maybe you've, you're okay with flipping DeRozan and or Lowry for younger pieces, you know, who, you know, in theory make you worse and give you more opportunities to develop this bench and add more pieces through the draft. That's a really tough sell, I think, to a fan base. Although, so given what this team has been through in the last three or four years, maybe it's a little easier to accept. Um, it's one of those things. Like, if they did like right now, the fans would be happy. Yeah. And then, like in the middle of next season, they'd be like, "Well, actually, right. maybe I don't want to watch a 15 win team." Exactly. No, and in, I'm, I'm sure you follow a lot of Raptors writers and people, as do I. And like, you know, a lot of people are joking. Like, I can't wait to be in this exact same spot next year where I talk myself into this team. And <laughs> you know, it's like that with every fan base um and i was looking too at like portland is basically in the exact same spot they get swept out around yeah. one you know they're they're lowry and DeRozan are a little bit more talented to me but yeah. similar issues similar pieces around them uh and washington too i mean washington doesn't have the bench or the depth that portland and toronto do but the beal wall pairing has kind of you know petered out in the same manner i actually think washington's in the best position of the three teams like moving forward mostly from a like a cap flexibility standpoint um and they do have like a top tier three and d wing player which mm-hmm. is like very covered like Iowa porter is really like one of the best three-point shooters in the league great defender wall and beal i mean they're like like you mentioned very comparable to like the the rosen lowry like mccollum lillard sorts of people but um after i think after next season they have basically everyone off the books that's not their core and that is huge because they don't have to i mean they don't have to like hit the reset they can really mm. just try to sign like a big name front court right. free agent which is pretty possible like m- looking at that roster if you're a front court guy you can be like i can we can mm-hmm. probably make this work into something big this is way off topic but i saw someone i forget if it was in an article or just a trade machine tweet someone suggested like new orleans signs boogie cousins and then trades them to washington for auto porter you basically just sign them to make the money work. Like, I, I feel like that's good for both sides. Probably probably better for New Orleans. I would be really worried if I was Washington with like Cousins' health. Right. I, that's a bigger issue to me than people are are raising. I guess this is a torn Achilles. Yeah. If if this was like a if we're saying Demarcus if this is like a ninety percent Demarcus Cousins or an eighty five percent Demarcus mm-hmm. Cousins, I'd probably look at that because like 
that's basically what's missing from New Orleans is like you just replace Etwan Moore with Iowa Porter. Yes. And then for, all due respect to Solomon Hill. All, yeah, exactly. And then the yeah Wizards just get their front court player that mm-hmm. is not Marcin Gortat, um, who everybody apparently hates. Um, so. Yeah, well, he's trying to get out. He's trying to get to Orlando, Orlando. like everybody. Yeah. You know, good luck. Um, I read that <laughs> somebody brought up an old story. I faintly remember this at the time, back in October. Uh, weird thing to say at this point, but Kyle Lowry, you know, right before the season, had said in an interview that he really wanted to go to San Antonio, but the the interest just wasn't mutual. Which in retrospect, I think I remember that, like at the time. Yeah, um, but I wanted to ask, like. obviously the Spurs aren't this team but like if the Toronto Raptors made calls and said Kyle Lowry's available give us your best offer like where would it make sense for him to land either from that team's perspective or from Toronto's perspective uh Sirit Sohi who writes all over the place I think mostly at SB Nation uh tweeted the other day that Kyle Kyle Lowry is exactly the level of declining star that the Kings would trade for Uh, and I could not agree more I think the Sacramento Kings are going to be on the line I I think Detroit would try. Oh, uh, do they even have the room? Uh, they. I don't know how that would work. I don't think that would. I mean, you'd have to. You I send don't, back think, Reggie I, I don't Jackson think that would work. And yeah, Drummond. Maybe you you do like a Drummond, like a Drummond, um, like Reggie Jackson kind of a pairing for oh. Lowry Valanciunas. Like I don't like Good what God. you. Yeah, it would have to. You'd almost have to involve multiple big pieces because like Detroit doesn't have that young asset, right? You know, that Kelly Oubre or whatever, who you could attach to a trade. It's to, like both teams just switching. Yeah. Gears, like, trying to stay like competitive. Right. It's like the. It's like. It's like trade DeRozan for Beal. See what happens. Something like that. Yeah, I mean it. To me, like I guess if Toronto does anything like that, maybe makes the most sense as you just try to like horizontally. Like you just kind of pivot horizontally, um, maybe just try to yeah like swing a big trade with another team that's underperforming. Like Detroit underperformed. Last there are year. plenty. There are plenty of underperforming teams with guys who have big contracts who are mm-hmm. in vacuums like good players, and yeah. so maybe that's something you try to do. Well, that's kind of what we said on the last pod too. You know, when I was referencing that Bobby Marks piece about cap space being limited, like there aren't just going to be all these teams out there who can absorb space in trades or you know who can make these big splashes in free agency like it's going to be very limited and a lot of the teams that have cap space are terrible and might not even want to you know why if you're the hawks you're not going to go sign someone to a three-year deal because by the time that's up you're still not going to be good right um so yeah i I think hopefully as a as a fan of the league we see the salary constraints kind of force teams to make these trades like if you want to change something about your team this summer you know unless you're using the mid-level exception or the taxpayer exception because there's going to be a bunch of teams in the tax the only way to do it is going to be via the draft or via trade. So, yeah. you know, I think we might see a spike in those type of deals that you just mentioned, you know, established player for established player because teams are going to be impatient. They're going to want to do something and they're not going to have that much flexibility. Yeah, just underperforming when mm-hmm. now teams like Portland. I mean, you could almost see you just trade half of Toronto yeah. to Portland for half of Portland. Like, and just hopefully be like, it works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, we'll close on the Cavs. JR, Corver, Kevin Love all played well toward the end of the series. As yeah. you said before, I mean, the emergence of Love, I think he averaged like 20 and 11 in this series. Like it's night and day when, he, when the Cavs have someone to dump the ball down to when LeBron is off the court. I mean, it was very clear, especially in games three and four, that the Cavs were more comfortable resting LeBron yeah. than they were. Like at any point in the Indiana series, you just felt like if LeBron was off the court, the game was just, you know, anything could happen. Um 
Rodney Hood did not play in this game, apparently by choice. He right. he was I think I mean this was out of reach. I think they took LeBron out. For some reason he came back in to start the fourth, hit two jumpers, and then they took him out <laughs> at like eight minutes. And Ty Lue tried to put Rodney Hood in. He said no. Um apparently got yelled at by a bunch of veterans Makes and sense. there was talk that they might suspend him for game one of, of this next series, which I don't think will begin until Sunday at the earliest, which is great for Cleveland, who has played back to back games or every other night since game five of the Indiana series yeah. so dating back like two weeks. Um, but Rodney hood, I guess they're not going to suspend him. He apologized. That's all good. But I mean, the underlying point is that all of these guys that the Cavs acquired at the deadline with the exception of George Hill, who was, who probably had his best game as a Cavalier last night. Um, with the exception of George Hill, like Rodney hood didn't do anything in the series. Jordan Clarkson comes in, fires up like five shots in seven minutes, and then you don't see him again. Yeah. Larry Nance has a, a couple of DMPs. He wouldn't have played in this game unless it was a blowout. Uh, so at the end of the day, like the Cavs rid themselves of Crowder and Isaiah. The George Hill addition has been beneficial, but for the most part, it's the guys that were on this team before that are you know doing 90% of the heavy lifting. Yeah, and I mean, there's... I, I was actually looking at this earlier today. The combination of... George Hill, Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith, and Jordan Clarkson make a combined $126 million over the next two years, which is insane. Other than that, I mean, like, they got Corver for seven or whatever, but Rodney Hood's an expiring contract. I don't – do they even – they bring him back? I, I don't mean, think so. Well, I mean, maybe you do because, like, he's, he's, on the, he's killed his own value so much that, like, whatever offer you would have had to match, you know, is not going to be all that much. I don't know. I don't think they're dying to bring him back. I mean, he hasn't given them much reason. And he, well, he's still – the thing is he's still on his – he's a restricted free agent. Right. So they – if they weren't going to bring him back, it would be tougher to sign. You'd have to go, like, mid-level exception. Right. I mean, but, they're, they're one of those teams that you can't even project because we have no idea if they're – maybe they'll have Kawhi Leonard on their roster in a month <laughs> yeah. or maybe LeBron will be in, you know, with the Clippers. Who knows? Right. Uh, last thing, are we – is this the fifth year in a row that if the MVP vote happened after the playoffs, LeBron would win it? Probably. Right? Like, if, if they took the vote right now, it would be – I think it would be LeBron, right? Yes. This is another year of looking back and – I mean, Harden clearly deserved it. Curry deserved both of his. Westbrook deserved his. Not to take anything away from what those guys did in the regular season, but like this, literally the fifth year in a row that LeBron has basically made MVP voters like immediately reconsider. I think so. And actually, I think it would do Anthony Davis favors too. Oh yeah, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis could like challenge Harden for two. If yeah, if, I mean Harden's been fine too. It's not like Harden's he's been, been bad, but he's been fine. But like Anthony Davis, both ends of the floor. When you talk about like most value, but like he, you get into semantics, but. Yeah, he, Davis is crazy. Yeah, I think the playoffs have done him favors as far as if if the MVP vote was held after. Watching him reminds me of watching Giannis in that they, I mean, they go to him. He's clearly the number one option, but like it seems like they could go to him so much more. Like I'm watching that that game three that they won. Half his points are just offensive rebound dunk. Like <laughs> yeah. they're not even trying to get him the ball. He's just going up and getting it and dunking on people. Like it's it is really wild. Like I, I think. Clearly, the system that they have with their guys is working, but it, it does feel like Davis could somehow be even more involved offensively. Yeah, it's like I definitely feel that with Giannis. I, I think a little bit more when Jason Kidd was the coach this year that Giannis was just like a super role player. Yeah. Like the best role player in the league, Giannis Agadakumbo. He would stumble his way into 25 points, it seemed like. Exactly. And so I, I guess, yeah, Davis can sometimes feel like the same way. I think less so now, like that he's clearly um, 
they can feed it to him and they will and, and everything yeah. like that. But yeah, I think, um, <laughs> I mean, they're both just ridiculous players. Yeah. The way that he's just like dwarfed Draymond and Draymond's been incredible. I mean, he's arguably outplayed Davis for half the series, yeah, but like he true. makes Draymond look like a six, three point guard standing next to him. Yep. Um, Sixers staved off elimination last night. I, I'm not ready to talk myself into this, like actually being a series again, but <laughs> If they if they win tomorrow night on Wednesday, things will get very interesting because that building for a game six potential, you know, tying up the series in a series that I think they felt like they should win. They're favored again tonight. I think they've been favored in every game, Philly. Yes. Uh, or I'm sorry, they'll they're favored tomorrow in game five. Right. Um if they win game five, I think game six is a complete toss up. And then, you know, you're throwing things up to chance in game seven. <laughs> it's never, no team's ever come back from a 3 0 deficit in the playoffs. I don't think it's going to happen. But this is a scenario, you know, like to me, that's like infinitely more likely that you could at least get a game seven here than looking at last night's series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, they, interest, I mean, they changed the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. But shout out to Brett Brown for like <laughs> giving it a shot. Like, why not? Put TJ Brett- McConnell and Ben Simmons together which I would have never thought to do, honestly, But um, as much as I love TJ McConnell. But they – I mean, the main thing for them is they they just ended up they, – they, it seemed like they tried. Like, they really just out-effort – out-efforted. That's not a word. Wow. They got a lot of – they got 10 more offensive rebounds, and they forced five more turnovers. And so they ended up with 90 – the 76ers, I should say, ended mm-hmm. up with 94 shots compared to Boston's 75 philly didn't shoot that well it doesn't matter you got more shots um and if they and this is the kind of potential that i figured they had to just force a lot of turnovers and beat inside should should be an offensive rebounding machine um simmons to some extent can get long rebounds like like you said it's the them being favored again is it feels weird but um i think (laughs) There, there's just so much talent it's hard right. for like vegas to not think or to think that this will be a, a blowout or anything like that yeah when you do have to remember too it's like it's this isn't necessarily what vegas thinks will happen it's where the money right, where, yeah. is dictating that the line goes so you know until until it shifts the other way that's where it's going to be uh but yeah like you said tj mcconnell entered the starting lineup in this game had a I don't know if this is a playoff career high or like a life career high. 19 points, seven <laughs> rebounds, five assists. Um, was very no gritty. turnovers. Extreme g- levels of grit in this game. <laughs> um, a lot of flexing. He was doing the like John Cena, you can't see me thing for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he's kind of taken the throne from Delhi, it seems, as <laughs> like that type of guy. 100%. Right. And fair enough. I mean, I think Delhi was probably ready to hand it off anyway. Um, but the, the other side of this is, yeah, TJ McConnell starts, he plays really well. He plays almost 40 minutes. Markel Fultz still not a factor whatsoever. It's looking more and more like we're probably just not going to see him again in the playoffs, no matter what happens the rest of the way. Like if you don't, if you're down three, Oh, nothing has gone your way in the series. You're down three Oh, you're at home and you still don't get off the bench in that game. You know, in that game last night, I, I don't know when that's going to come for Fultz. Probably. I don't think we see him until next year. I, I think that's right. I he just he would have played by now. I would have thought, you know, if if there was any game where he would have right. saw five minutes, I think it would be this one. Exactly. He was he was good one. in the Miami series for the most part. I mean, he wasn't like a huge difference maker. He was fairly limited, but it, that to me seemed like there's still an issue with that jump shot. 
Yeah, I mean, they were playing Justin Anderson over right. him, which... Noted it, marksman. <laughs> exactly. And I understand, like, Justin Anderson, probably a better defender than Mark Fultz, but mm-hmm. even still, uh, it just kind of shows how, how broke um, Fultz's jump shot is. Has your overall opinion on Simmons or Embiid changed at all in the series? No. No? I, I feel like with Simmons, I mean, I don't think mine has either, but people were ready... Uh, noted sports personalities were saying that he was on track to be a top 20 player ever. That still could very well be true. Um, but it does seem like from the end of the Miami series to now, you know, Simmons, especially, I, I think people have cooled off a little bit on, you know, it, it, two weeks ago, people were saying that no way in hell LeBron should go to, to Philly because they don't need him. They don't want to ruin Ben Simmons. Right. To me, if you're a Philly fan, you'd probably be a little more accepting of LeBron joining your team right now than you would have been after Game Five in Miami. Right. I think. I mean, my. I mean, first of all, my opinion of Simmons is that he's an All Star and that he got yes. snubbed for not being an All Star. So that's. And I'm still there. He's played like an All Star in the playoffs for the most part, and even last game, like 19 points, 13 rebounds, five assists, two steals. Um, Embiid, yeah, same thing. Like he he wasn't that efficient this game. He's still struggling shooting the three, but part of that makes me feel like it's the mask. He wasn't that great during the regular yep. season. I just think like in you, as a Philly fan, you can easily look at both the players and be like, we. It's very clear where they can get better, which is a good thing to see because they're already really good. Like Embiid, uh, he he isn't as good in the post, I think, as a lot of people like would hope. Like because he, he's. Horford's been great on Horford's been great on him and um Embiid is kind of he goes to like one move a lot I think if he people compare him to Olajuwon (laughs) and once he if he can really start actually getting like the pump fakes and the pivoting down and stuff like that that's when Mm -hmm. he he transcends into the player that I think everyone's like already hyping him up to be I think with Simmons he got too good too fast where it's like it, really. we started judging him against like LeBron and Magic Johnson versus other rookies or even like second or third year players. Like he's like you said, he's been really, really good by rookie standards. But I think he played so well during that 17 game win streak to end the year. He played so well against Miami that it, it just set the bar a little too high. And I mean, probably a slight overreaction to the one the one point game. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it was a bad game, but it, it was a bad game, but. Yeah, and there was a there was a point like in the middle of the season where Simmons was struggling. I think for maybe like almost a month, he mm-hmm. he just oh, yeah. didn't look right. Um, right after the All Star break. Yeah, but I mean, he like he bounced back and mm-hmm. he did the same thing like this game after dropping a one point game. So I'm, I, yeah. To answer your original question, like this 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 whole series, the the game, like my opinion of the those two guys are virtually the same. Going forward, how would you rank like you know just in terms of how good do you think they're going to be or who would you rather have on your team? Whatever criteria you want to use. How would you rank Simmons, Mitchell, Tatum, Jalen Brown? Simmons. Wait, what was it? Simmons, Simmons Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. All um, pretty similar in age. I think Jalen Brown's younger than Ben Simmons, actually. Yeah. I think I would want Simmons the most. I think I would take – to me, the skill set is, like, way too unique yes. for me to um, – and then I think I would go – Mitchell um and then Tatum Brown I think that's the order I would go like crazy enough there's a case that you would go Tatum over Mitchell because Tatum's just that yeah good. 
I, the three-point shooting, the, yeah. the Tatum's three-point shooting. Well, just the length, the defensive potential. Like, as great as Mitchell is, at the end of the day, he's 6'3", you know? And right. Tatum does a lot of the same things, and he's long, he has broad shoulders, he's 6'8". Mitchell, to me, is, like, has... He very much is like that Dwayne Wade kind of a feeling to me where it's like, I want this guy to be able to play point guard. Yeah. And because if because if he can get those like seven assists a game, that's when he becomes like a, you know, a top five, ten player in the league. But if he has to keep playing shooting guard, that kind of like caps his mm-hmm. theoretical ceiling, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the Wade comp is is the obvious one just because like immediate impact, you know, kind of a tweener one two. I mean, to me, he's like he's like somewhere between Wade and Lillard where like, I guess I don't. You know, right now, if I had to say yes or no, will he be as good as Dwayne Wade? I would say no. Will he be as good as Damian Lillard? I would say yes. You know, and Lillard obviously has a lot of time left to to write his book, but I think if you fall somewhere in between there, like I mean, that's a Hall of Fame career, and <laughs> he's probably on track for that, barring some sort of injury. He would be great on the Seventy Sixers, actually. Yeah, yeah. You know what? He would. Turns He'd also out. be good on the Hornets or the Pistons Bucks or the Nuggets. Who traded that pick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Nuggets, I've said this multiple times. I'm kind of trying to lead the charge on this, but like the, nobody is, is like faulting the Nuggets for trading that pick. No, because Trey then, Lyles could still be good, and who would have thought even I don't know. Uh, that Donovan Mitchell... Well, if you believe the good. Knicks and the Hornets and the Pistons, uh, they all liked Donovan Mitchell and loved him, and were just, they were just <laughs> about to classic, take him, but right? then you know, Luke Kennard was there. Yeah. Denver really had their eyes on Tyler Lydon at like 24. <laughs> just think if Denver had him. I mean, any team, obviously, you can kind of play that game. But I think Denver probably makes the playoffs. They we would be viewing them completely differently. They would, yeah, that what they they would just run like a three guard. They would just do like a Murray, Harris, Mitchell rotation, like oh, in the backcourt. And would, <laughs> yeah, can you yeah, imagine? Yeah, Barton as your fourth guy. The athleticism. Such a fun team. Yeah. Jokic just throwing lobs to Mitchell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What could have been? Uh, David Fisdale versus Marcus All. Did, I, did you read that article? I did not. When this did that great. come out? Uh, either late last night or early this morning. Oh, I think I, I saw it. it this morning. So okay. he's David Fisdale's the Knicks coach, as we know. Um, there was an article that kind of dove into how he exited Memphis and you know what exactly went down there. Because, I mean, everyone knew it was kind of him versus Gasol, but there was really not a lot of actual substance as to what happened. It kind of just seemed like Gasol won that war. It was going to be one or the other. Yeah. Um, and now apparently, according to anonymous sources, mm. he, Fisdale was the one who was responsible allegedly for getting rid of Zach Randolph and getting rid of Tony Allen, which did okay. not sit well with Marcus Gasol. To me, that seems great. Like, why would you <laughs> would... want those guys on your team? I would have gotten rid of them as well. Um, so basically he was trying to get away from grit and grind. Marcus Gasol wanted to run it back another year or two, um, he apparently publicly, um, I don't know what the right word is, I guess, diminished uh, Marcus Gasol's EuroLeague accomplishments. Oh. Uh, here's a quote from Ken Berger of Bleacher Report. According to a person familiar with the situation, a key source of the unrest was that Fisdale diminished Gasol's EuroLeague accomplishments. Quote, he literally said to Marcus Gasol, I know what real championships are, not that fake stuff in Europe, the source said. That Euro champion stuff doesn't cut it. <laughs> which is great I think kind of funny um and apparently the 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 real turning point uh and this is this is all coming from a yahoo story but this is per uh stefan bondi of the new york daily news um fisdale confronted the team about its lack of desire following a loss the coach went around the locker room asking each player if he believed they could win a title if they lacked belief they didn't belong in the locker room 
blah, 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 blah. The younger players went along. Gasol, however, answered no. Then when asked for an explanation, Gasol replied, we don't have the right leader. Fisdale had a solid comeback, but it couldn't have helped his future with Gasol. He said, quote, I get it. You want Greg Popovich, and I want LeBron James. <laughs> I wish, we need footage of this. That is, that is an all-time. This makes me like Fizz a lot more. Yeah, it does. That is a great comeback. Um, wow. I. Uh, it's very clear that like I think European players or overseas players take like the EuroLeague stuff in championships way more seriously than i think american players do yeah i, I mean I, not to take anything away from gasol like it's a big accomplishment i guess we don't know the context like if he was you know trying to put that on the level of an nba title which yeah, maybe the, in some people's mind that is but like win an nba title and then say that you right know, you can't say you can't win one and then say it's worth more than the other yeah it's it yeah it is also out of context but i uh yeah i there was a lot of I understand why Gasol is mad because I'm. I mean, he clearly has a great relationship with Zach Randolph and Tony Allen, but um, it seemed like it was time for that to to come to an end. Right. But I also like I've I heard I, I mean I've hear I hear stuff about like the Memphis fans like not really caring that like they just really like the team they just liked that the team was good they liked watching them in the playoffs even if they lost so it was like it's a very weird kind of yeah. cultural like standpoint maybe because there's also like most fan bases would just be like I, we can't stand this anymore like right I, and that's a weird directive to a coach you know like hey we don't care if you win or lose the fans just love this team that's gonna be terrible yeah you know i don't it's not like tony allen went elsewhere and was great and you're like wow how do we not keep this guy he played 22 games for, for the, the pelicans, pelicans and that yeah. was that like we i haven't heard haven't heard about him in six months no, he's, he's done zach randolph <laughs> kind of stopped playing for the Kings in like yeah, February. Yeah, like sent him home. Yeah, I don't, that I don't get. I mean, I, I guess if those guys are your are your boys and you want them on the team, fine. But I don't see the argument for like how, how that was somehow Fisdale's fault that you got rid of guys who probably should have been off the team two years ago. Yeah. I mean, as a coach, you want, <laughs> you want to coach a team that you feel is like mm-hmm. best suited to win games. Um, a, unbelievable statement. But, uh, and I understand, like, the, the grit and grind thing is – you could almost see the writing on the wall, like, with the way the NBA is changing. And it would be a different story if they were, like, this, like, young, up-and-coming, like, guys in their prime, quote-unquote, grit and grind team. But aging, grit and grind in an era of, like, pace and space is – especially when it wasn't really working um, right. is, is definitely a tough – I, it's understandable that Fisdale would not have necessarily wanted to hang on to that dream for what years mm-hmm. I like they were I I think the the idea was they were just going to run that team back until they all just quit like right. they just retire and then you move on from there and then you have a big celebration like it's a funeral more or less, yeah. yeah. And it's like I don't was Gasol like is Gasol just planning on staying here no matter what? Like is his he's basically I, like saying I'm good with this. I, I maybe yeah maybe now that Fizdale is gone and they're gonna get a really good draft pick and they're gonna get Mike Conley back and he might be more okay with it. Um, but they also have some kind of deep roster issues, mostly Chandler Parsons contract. Um. And what what basically will be like two weirdly, like distinct different eras at once. Mm-hmm. So it's that's I don't always know. tough. It, it is always tough. 
other news items, the Charlotte Hornets hired James Borrego to be their head coach earlier today. He uh, spent a lot of time as an assistant all over the place, most recently San Antonio. Probably best known for being the interim head coach in Orlando a couple years ago after Scott Skiles quit. Uh, uh, he took over that memorable 2015 Magic team. Mm. Um, this isn't really news. I just thought it was interesting and, and wanted to get your opinion on it. Uh, I saw reports, I think it was yesterday, that, and reports is probably even being generous, but it was basically like sources around the league are increasingly believing that the Thunder should trade or at least think about trading Russell Westbrook. Not that the Thunder are thinking that, not that they will do that, but that. Uh, that's the that's the word on the street now is that they should at least think about it. Uh, I Those Supermax contracts are, they are kind of, they're a lot. And you have to, I don't know, Westbrook, he'll be what, like 30, assuming he accepts the player option, at the end he will be old it'll be in 2023 so i think he'll be 35 34 35 making 45 million dollars um yeah i i would i mean i would make the calls uh but you sacramento gonna get lowry and westbrook <laughs> the, the combo we've all been looking for uh <laughs> with willie collie stein yeah, running pair up westbrook with DeRozan. <laughs> i uh yeah i mean i sure i i really just don't even know how to address that like what do you do then you just you just become a normal team like you're just like every other team that has like a couple of decent players like what's the return for westbrook on that contract what can you? I mean, the amount of players that you would have to trade to reach that amount of money, you have to trade two twenty million dollar players, right? Well, and that's what we've said time and time again with the supermax is like it's had more unintended consequences than <laughs> had the effect that I think the NBA thought it would. Like the whole point is you lock in these guys, you know, you, they don't leave the, their original team, but when you're not eligible for the supermax until you're in your late twenties or early thirties. You put the team in a really tough spot. We've all we've already seen other teams. Paul George. Yeah. Jimmy Butler, DeMarcus Cousins. We've seen other teams literally try to dodge the obligation to offer that to a superstar. Um, and certainly OKC is such a unique situation, you know, that they were in coming off of last season that it was kind of a no brainer to give that to Westbrook. Right. But it's a quarter of a billion dollars, you know? And like <laughs> that's just a lot of money in its own right when when you're not even considering things like salary cap and luxury tax. Uh, and then, like you said, it makes it extremely hard to match anything in, in any sort of trade. Yeah. And it's it, it they the NBA basically included like here's an offer that you can't refuse. Yes. Situation into the NBA, which is, yeah, it's 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 great for certain markets potentially. And if you happen to if you if you're a small market that happens to stumble on the next LeBron James, who happens to be less loyal, mm -hmm. that you can like trick him into staying like I, it's designed for Milwaukee and Giannis. That's yeah. like literally the exact situation that this is designed for. Right. And Giannis is young enough that when he's eligible, it'll still make sense to give it to him. But I, I mean, is the solution to like ease the constraints on who can get it? So like, if you're Phoenix, wouldn't you just rather give that to Devin Booker when he's 22 instead of when he's 28? Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, doesn't that make more sense? I, I mean, I, I understand that you want to make sure that players are deserving when you're handing out that kind of money, but at the end of the day. You know, I don't know if they're trying to save teams from themselves, you know, it's, offering players who 
you know, just had a flash in the pan year, things like that. I, I don't know, but it hasn't really worked out the way I, I don't think that the NBA intended so far. It's also kind of like, it's very anti-super team, like inherently, because when you're spending $40 million, $50 million, whatever it's going to end up being on one guy, is it even possible to have one or two other? I mean, we're, we're talking about like teams like, like what, like Toronto not being able to get over the hump because they only have two all-stars. Yeah. And so if you can't even get a third all-star and you have a guy on your team, because a guy on your team is making this much money, like I said, unless it's LeBron James, unless it's Giannis, Mm -hmm. and we don't even know if Giannis is going to reach that level. You'd almost have to home grow it and then just go deep into the luxury tax, basically what Golden State has done, right? Like you'd have to have the guys already. You couldn't go and sign them away. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's anti-super team in that way. And it's also anti-super team in that you're keeping guys where they're at and preventing them from going to another place to team up with other players so yeah i mean long term we'll see i mean i'm sure it'll be revisited in the next cba but we're several years away from that um the bucks are interviewing basically every remaining coach on the market uh do you have any thoughts on that you've probably looked into that more than i have um not really i i don't know if you saw i put out a poll on twitter I did not um, see that. When was okay, this? it got forty votes. It was a couple of days oh, that's ago. A ton of votes. It was really the the amount of like people who contributed was alarming because it's more than a third of my followers. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was if if Mike Bugen if you're John Horst and Mike Bugenholzer is sitting in your office and he's like, I will coach the Milwaukee Bucks on the condition that you keep Jabari Parker. Yeah. No matter what the offer is like a realistic offer but no matter what the offer is like you match it would you hire Mike that would be. Bugenholzer <laughs> you so what were the results um everyone wants to hire Mike Bugenholzer 64 percent hire Bugenholzer 26 percent pick a different coach 10 percent quit your job immediately huh so um high opinions on Bugenholzer and high opinions on Jabari Parker from my followers um, yes yeah that's actually really interesting I mean I, I think of the candidates that are in play Budenholzer makes the most sense for the bucks you know like i'm all for becky hammond getting a job i don't know if this is the right job i think it would become such a a shy yeah a sideshow uh for better or for worse that like this is the most important coaching hire in the history of the bucks and not that becky hammond wouldn't be the a good candidate it just seems like you're taking an unnecessary risk you know like Budenholzer. You know, if, if you're looking at this from like an NBA Live 2005 prism, <laughs> his potential is like a B plus, but he's already at like they an still a. do that in 2K. Oh, like they do. Okay, yeah. nice. I, I'm not really up on that, but okay. you know, he's probably not. He's not like this young. He's not like a Fizdale where you're like, who knows how good of a coach he could be? He's only had half a season. Like you know what he is, but we already know he's a good coach, and he might not have the highest ceiling, but he has a very high floor. Right. And if you're a team like Milwaukee that needs to keep making the playoffs and just maximize what you have on the roster. Budenholzer has a track record of doing that. Yeah. The high floor is definitely important. Mm-hmm. But I I thought it was an interesting question to pose because I'd be, I'd be like a little worried that that's like – because Budenholzer very much – I think the split between him and Atlanta came when they just were giving away talent for nothing. And we know the situation with Milwaukee is if they let Jabari Parker walk, they'd get nothing mm-hmm. um, because of the way the salary cap works. So – Part of me would feel like if if Mike Budenholzer was on, you know, if if negotiations were going on, that he might very strongly want Jabari Parker in the mix. And that's, you know, your your Twitter poll aside, that's going to be part of it. You know, any coach that comes in that, is going to ask about that. He's theoretically and like he's the going to have an opinion player. on it, right? Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, okay, so Houston, Utah tonight, and New Orleans, Golden State, game fives in both of those series. Are these both ending tonight? Yeah, I'm taking the favorites for both. Yeah, I think so too. I think Utah, Utah had me worried for like 20 minutes after they beat Houston <laughs> in game two, but the way that the way that the Rockets have looked these last two games, not really concerned. And again, New Orleans has put together a good series. Game four was probably their worst game overall in the yeah. series, and. It, it's still been a, a pretty decent series, all things considered. But yeah, I think I think we get Houston Golden State, and it's it's kind of nice how this might work out with you know, especially if Boston Philly ends tomorrow. You know, not that I want days without games, but it is kind of nice that you know, especially Houston Golden State, which is this matchup that we've been wanting all year. Pretty good chance that those teams are going to come in on like four days of rest, which is how yeah. I would like it. That would be great. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.